it's uh, prepared for us and has allowed us to have. So let's open up our hearts nice and wide and let's make sure that this is a very holy and blessed time where we can grow within the word and within God just a little bit more. Amen. Uh, with that said, let's uh, begin with the prayer and we'll go into the word portion of our seminar today. Let us all pray. Father God, the giver of life, truth, and all blessings. At this time, we come before you as your humble, uh, grateful uh, servants and children. We come before you, Father God, with nothing. Uh, there was nothing that we showed you that was worthy of being uh, saved from sin. And this is why we know that your work is truly grace and mercy. It is not because there was anything within the world that we showed you that you chose us and have relinquished us from, from the previous way of the life of the flesh. But now you are guiding us with your word to live a life within the spirit. And for this, we are truly, truly grateful. Father God, there's many of us who are struggling even at this time. But still, we have reserved this very short and precious time for you on this Saturday. Uh, Father God, please, would you look at us with much joy? And would you pour upon your mercy and grace just so much more for all those who are fighting internal, external, physical, spiritual battles within their lives? Please, would you give them strength and help them to trust and be courageous to cast all of their anxieties and burdens unto you? There is so much to do. There is so much to grow within this life of faith, Father God. So allow every single second, every single minute, every single day to be one that is precious and one that is being guided by you. A day that can be a resulting, in, uh, a day that can result within your glory and a day that is truly devoted to you. In everything we pray, in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, we have been brought from sin into life. Amen. Okay, so uh, greetings to all of our uh, guests once again. Uh, for those who are here for the first time, uh, this is what we ask you to do. If you know how to use the emojis within uh, the Zoom call, please do so with the raising of the hand up. If you're here for the first time, uh, if you don't know how to use the emoji, you can just quickly raise your hand up. Okay, so as we can see, just like that. So I see Daniel, Jasper, Kushi, Chantal. All right. Anyone else who are here for the first time? Simona, Ryan. Okay. I'm sure there's some people who are raising their hands. I see someone giving a, a Kurt giving a thumbs up. Uh, for those who have been joining for quite a while, I see Mr. Musin. Let's welcome them in with a big round of applause and also a big heart saying that we love you all within the name of God, within the name of Jesus, within the word, we welcome you with uh, open arms. You are a spiritual family to us as well. So hopefully that this seminar can be something that can grow your faith and grow your knowledge within God as well. And for all those who've been joining for a very long time, once again, uh, we haven't done this one, but look into the camera and give each other a big spiritual hug. Hug so that you can <laughs> feel it. I know that we're maybe worlds apart, we're like countries and, you know, so many miles apart. But one thing that we can feel doesn't have to be physically. But one thing we can feel is love, right? And uh, that's something that even though thousands of miles apart, we can definitely feel 
uh, through, I guess, this little camera over here, right? Uh, but for those who are here for the first time, Amen. There is no distance in the spirit. But uh, for those who are here for the first time, uh, my name is Jonathan. I'll be your uh, seminar speaker for today. Uh, and just to recap you for what we talked about last time, I guess from anyone who was here from the last week, uh, what did we compare God's word as? Does anyone remember? Anyone remember what we were talking about the God, uh, God's word was like? It was like a sword. Amen. It was like a sword. Then why was God's word compared to as a sword? We use it to, well, a sword can be used to fight and a sword can be used to defend. It divides soul and spirit. That's good. But a sword is a tool. It's a weapon that is used to protect ourselves and also to fight against the enemy, right? And that's what the word of God was used for. It should be used for within your life of faith. Amen. But it's very easy to understand the concept of the sword being the word of God. Very simply. Yes. Amen. The sword is the word. I got to use it to protect and defend my life of faith. But let's say someone said that, you know, uh, Kamaria, Diana, uh, Rebecca, go use the word of God to defend your life of faith. Amen. And then you try and do it. What would you do? Would you just begin to read it? Would you pick it up physically and start swinging it around? Uh, probably not, right? So we actually have to learn <clears throat> also. Just like how we can learn how to use a sword, we must also learn how to use the word of God to do those things. We have to learn how to use the word of God to overcome our sinful life, and use the word of God to overcome the devil as well. Does that sound interesting, everyone? Does, it, does that sound important? <laughs> I hope so. Okay. So let's learn how to do that together uh, as we go into our seminar content all together. Uh, for the host of this call, I'm unable to share the screen at the moment. Is, uh, is it possible to get that option? I prepared a PPT for everyone, so hopefully they let me do that. Okay, there we go. <laughs> oh, that got me really nervous. Oh, it's disabled again. So if we can get it really uh, get it up as soon as possible. Okay, there we go. So allow me to share this for all of you. This will be our title for today: How to Understand the Bible. Okay, how to understand the Bible specifically on how we can use it to fight against the life of sin and also how to fight against the devil's schemes. So this will be the purpose of our seminar. Let's just read this all together. Just follow along with me. Ready? And begin. If the word of God is a sword, how do you use it to fight sin? If the word of God is our weapon, how do we use it to fight against the devil's schemes? Okay. So let's now go into our first point all together of how do we fight the life of sin? Okay. So when you guys think of sin, uh, you must understand also that there are different levels to sin. There's a very basic sin. There's deeper sin. There's even things called like abominations within the Bible also, right? But when you think of sin, what are some things that come to your mind immediately? Can anyone start giving a list? Or certain sins that come to your mind? Murder, okay. That one comes 
immediately lying, death, adultery, lies. Okay. So, yes, fornication, self temptation, idolatry. The two stones God gave to Moses. Amen. That would be the Ten Commandments. So, when we think of sin, that would be actually the basic understanding of sin. I saw a lot of people immediately giving a list of what was on the Ten Commandments. Idolatry, murder, adultery, lying, stealing, coveting, all those things. But we have to understand sin is not just one or two or a list of actions. Sin is actually a way of life. Does that make sense? It's a lifestyle. These are habits, things that are, are, that are ingrained within human nature. It's within our human nature. So when we think of overcoming the life of sin, it's not just simply saying, oh, this one action is sin. Let me try my best not to do that one action. That's not how overcoming sin works. But rather, through the Bible, we're able to understand what those individual actions of sin are. But that's not really the best way to change uh, overall that life of sin. We're going to go into our first reference altogether, which is in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. If we can read this, Romans chapter 8. Verse 5. Amen. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, yes, as we've just read Romans chapter 8, verse 5, the entirety of Romans chapter 8, everyone, is when Apostle Paul is now explaining to the church in Rome that there's two ways of life. There is a life where your mind is set on the desires of the uh, is set on the flesh. And therefore, the way you live carries out the desires of the flesh. However, there is another way of life, which is the mind that is set on the spirit. And therefore, it goes towards the desires of the spirit. Does, does that make sense, everyone? So when I see that I have a desire for something that is sinful. And what I try to do is just stop that desire. Just stop that one individual action, right? Then we have a long list to go, right? <laughs> a very long list of sin to take care of. Fixing one by one by one, right? Has anyone read through the, the book of Leviticus before? Hundreds upon hundreds of laws where you have to, you know, refrain from yourself of sinning. But just like how one can have a sickness, uh, I'm pretty sure everyone here, once in your life, caught a cold, right? Or the flu, right? Did anyone not catch a flu or a cold before? Because this will be an example that wouldn't apply to you. Donisha, you never caught a cold before in your life? No, really? Well, that protection of God. But <laughs> anyways, <laughs> for those who have gotten a cold before, right? What begins to happen? Show me the symptoms, right? Nose dripping, right? Nose turns red. <coughs> Keep on coughing, right? Fever comes up. Throat gets itchy, sneezing, right? Congestion, headaches, right? Now, let's say you try to solve that one by one. Oh, I got a fever. So get some ice, put it on my head. I'm coughing. So get some cough drops, put that too. Sneezing, get some tissues, just, you know, shove it up the nose, right? And you're trying to take care of these symptoms one by one. 
but is it going to stop those symptoms from continuing on? No, that is just solving the problem that is right in front of you. But rather, what you have to do is to solve the problem that is within. That is the virus. That is the sickness that now has you know, entered inside your system. In the same way, it's with sin as well. The reason why you have those individual actions of sin is not just because one or two actions you're committing that is wrong, but it's because from the very core of it, your mind and your heart, its desires are set on that. And therefore, you live in that way and commit those actions one by one. Does that make sense, everyone? Then what do we have to change from the very core value of things is what our heart and our mind, what our desires are set on. It has to be no longer the mind of the flesh controlling the spirit, but the mind of the spirit that is now controlling the flesh. That is what the word of God is used for. How could you know the thoughts of God? How could you know the thoughts of the spirit? There is no way by yourself. But thanks be to God, what did he do? He gave us this thing called the scripture so that we can now understand his mind, understand his heart. And that very word of God that holds his spirit inside of it must now not just exist within a book, but it must be brought inside of our heart, inside of our mind. And that's what faith and believing is. So once again, through the word of God, the values and the thoughts of God must live inside our hearts and our minds. And once that happens, the desires of our mind begin to set on the things of the spirit. And therefore, our life changes, right? One action, two actions. What is life in itself? It's just a culmination of many actions that we commit on a daily basis, right? And if our mind changes, slowly our actions will change, meaning our life will change overall as well. Is that something that everyone here would desire? Of course. Uh, if there's anyone who is lacking in this, once again, I'm pretty sure it's not prayer that's lacking. I'm pretty sure it's not trust in God that's lacking. But there could be one thing that is very much lacking, which is the word of God being supplemented within your life of faith. Okay. Now. Here is one question that I have for everyone here. There are two times uh, Jesus refers back to. When I say time, I'm referring to a period. Uh, there's two periods where Jesus refers back to as a time that was so sinful. Does anyone know what those two times would be? Oh, the age of Noah. Bingo. That's number one. And once you got that one down, the second one usually follows along. The time of Noah and the time of, oh, the end times, that's, a, okay, if, so if we had to do three, the end times would be accurate as well. The time of Noah and Lot. And why end times? Because Jesus says the end times will be like Noah and Lot, right? <laughs> so then, now when you think of the time of Noah and Lot, tell me, what kind of sins could they have been doing that was just so sinful? like? Like, basically, it's saying, Jesus, what were the top three most sinful places and times in, hum in human history? All the end times, Noah and Lot. So it's like up there, right? It's really up there. Then what could they have been doing? 
Isn't that something to think about? What could they have possibly have been doing? Uh, in the time of Genesis, in Genesis chapter uh, uh, 6, all the way to Genesis chapter 11, uh, 13 and 14, because that also explains Sodom and Gomorrah, it doesn't go into too much detail, although there are certain glimpses. There are certain glimpses of what that sin looked like at those times. But Jesus actually comes approximately 2,000 years ago to describe what those times were like. Okay, Shall we go look in that, into that uh, together? Let's go into Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 27, to see the time of Noah. Amen. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Amen. Amen. Which one is sin? As it was days in the days of Noah, they ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. Hmm? Which one was sin? Ah, I see. Ashley gave a really good answer. Let's actually see what was happening also in the time of Lot. Let's go there as well. Luke chapter 17, verses 28 to 30. Amen. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, Will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed? Amen. Amen. Everyone, it says that they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. It looks like they liked the uh, shopping back then too, right? <laughs> right. Hmm. When you look at this very carefully, do those things sound extremely sinful? Oh, I see. Jasen uh, likes shopping. Is that why she said amen? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I see. The drinking? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, when you look at the, that situation, those individual things, they don't seem so bad, right? Who here drinks? And when I say drink, I mean like water, like who drinks things to, you know, water, liquids, right? We're people. Who here eats? Who here works? Who here is in a relationship or wants to get in a relationship? Who here likes to buy? Who here has sold things in the life, uh, in your life? All of us. Then does that mean we're also this really sinful generation? Here's what we have to understand. As we just explained er earlier, the life of sin is not just one or two simple sinful actions. A lot of the times, believers, what we get stuck up on is our own personal sin. What I have done wrong, whether it's lust, whether it's greed, and we get stuck up upon those individual sinful actions within our daily lives, right? But when you look at that life that you see in the time of Noah and Lot, maybe you wouldn't have felt guilty of doing things like that. And the reason why is because we have to understand the situation as a whole. 
while these people were living in that way, buying, selling, marrying, giving, drinking, eating, right? Carrying out their businesses. There was one thing that was not present within their life. Let's now go look at that together. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. Amen. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Amen. Amen. So let's now break down this reference as well. It says, My spirit will not remain with man, right? Depending on your version, uh, it might be a little bit different. Uh, if you use the NIV version, it says, My spirit will not contend with man forever. If you use the King James and the New King James Version, it says something very similar. If you read the ESV version, it says, my spirit will not abide with men forever. And if you use the NASB version, it says, my spirit will not remain with men forever. So it's not that those individual words are different. It's all talking about the same thing. God's spirit was no longer within the hearts and the minds of people. So no matter what they did, no matter what they, what kind of life they lived, maybe they never killed someone even. Maybe they never even committed adultery. But the very fact of living a life without the spirit of God guiding, that in itself is a sinful life. That is a life that is completely separated from the spirit of God. That is essentially what sin is. So oftentimes, once again, we get stuck upon these one or two or three, four, maybe bad habits or actions that we have. That is on a very basic level. But in the core foundation of all things, those things are symptoms of a sickness, of being separated from the spirit of God. And only through the word of God can we be able to come together, be reunited with the spirit of God once again, so that our minds are set on the things of the spirit. And that is when our life will begin to change as well. Amen. You know, there's a, I've heard a lot of believers say that um, people within the faith of Jesus Christ, that they don't like the word religion. Religion is something that we don't like. I have faith, but I don't like religion. Well, uh, I, I advise anyone who feels that way to read uh, James chapter one, uh, the very word religion actually comes out within the Bible. And I do feel uh, I do feel regretful if there's anyone who had negative experiences within religion, exactly true religion. Um, but what is the meaning of religion? It's not just simply a set of rules that you keep. It's not something that you do habitually. It's not just traditions. But the true meaning of religion, everyone, if you break it down, it actually means reconnection, reestablishing the, the relationship that I once had with God. So if you break down the word of religion, a lot of you may have learned this already, religion into re-ligare, ligare meaning connecting and binding, ligare is like the root word of ligaments. And if you have a hair ties, liga, it's like something that ties together. So if you use the word re and ligare, it means to bind and connect once again. That is true religion. That is done through the word of God. Amen. Now, 
Uh, one thing that I want to explain before we continue on on how to understand the Bible, well, let's actually read this one as well. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Amen. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human, the human heart, was only evil all the time. Amen. Amen. So uh, just to build on what we talked about earlier, how the human heart, every thought was only evil all the time, right? But what were some thoughts that they had? Eating, drinking, buying, selling, marrying, giving in marriage. So that was evil in God's eyes too. Why? It's because that spirit of God, they were living a life that was no longer with God, but a life that was set on their own desires, on their own wants. And that's what God saw that was evil, totally neglecting God's will to only live what their hearts, what their desires, what their flesh desired. And once again, that was something that was evil. Okay. Let's make sure that day by day, we grow with the word of God so that within ourselves, we can change into that image and likeness and have the desires of the spirit together. Uh, one thing that I want to share with uh, everyone here are practical ways to overcome the life of sin. So not just something that is abstract, not just something that is a concept, right? Overcome the devil and sin with the word. And everyone's like, amen. And then here comes Monday and Tuesday. What do I do? Right? <laughs> so a practical way to overcome the life of sin. Okay. Let's actually go into a very, one of my favorite books, which is Ecclesiastes. Let's read verses, uh, chapter four, verses 10 to 12. Amen. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Amen. Amen. If one falls down, then if you're by yourself, then you've fallen down and you might get hurt. But if you have fallen down with somebody else, then that person can help pick you up. If it's a cold, a cold night and you lie by yourself, you'll be very cold. But if there's someone to lie with, then both can stay warm. What is this wisdom that is now being shared within the Bible? Oftentimes when you think of the life of faith, you think of me and God, just me and God. That's all I need. Me and Jesus, we're a pair. And everyone, why did Jesus give us the church? Why does Jesus give us brothers and sisters? Why do we call each other brothers and sisters? When I call someone a brother, when I call someone a sister, what you're really saying is that you're a family. And why did you receive a family from God? So that you can be with God and Jesus one-on-one? -on -one? That's important as well when you pray. But what happens when you fall? It's not just God and Jesus that lift you up. It's the people that he puts around you that also lift you up. If you look at Matthew chapter 25, do you know what it says? Uh, Jesus says, I will reward those, for all of you over here, you who have fed me, you have given me a, a water for my thirst, you who clothed me, you who visited me while I was in prison. And then the people are saying, Jesus, when did we ever give you something to eat? When did we ever give you a, drink, a cup of water? You know what Jesus says? Every single thing that you've done for these little ones, 
for each other, you have done for me. That's what Jesus says. So then why are we now gathering in this way, in this seminar? Why do we have weekday studies where you guys can meet each other on a daily basis? It's because the Bible says so. It's so that you can grow in the life of faith. It's so that you can change the mind, the environment. If you're by yourself, you're just you and your struggles, living that mind of the flesh by yourself. But you have to be placed in a way, in an environment where you are surrounded by fellow brothers and sisters. And that's when you become stronger, when you are with each other. If you have this really, let's, let's say you have this healthy, strong animal, let's say a lion, right? Strongest of the jungle. You place that lion in a desert. What will happen to that lion? Give it a week and it will become very, very weak. Nothing to eat, nothing to drink. If you take the weakest animal, the weakest, uh, let's say lion, right? But you place it in an environment, in a, in a place where it can thrive with food and water and everything that it needs, then it will grow stronger. Does that make sense, everyone? In the same way, we also cannot just live our life of faith by myself, by what I think is correct, but we must also be placed with in a group within fellow brothers and sisters. That's why fellowship, that's why church was created so that you can grow in that life of faith. And if anyone needs a place like that, these seminars and the weekday studies is for all to join okay? so that you grow within the life of faith. Okay? Let's actually read one more reference to show how we grow together. James chapter 5, verse 16. Amen. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Amen. Amen. So what is a powerful prayer? Hmm? What is the definition of a powerful prayer in James 5, 16? It's when you pray for each other. That's powerful and effective. I don't take my words for it. We just read it from the word of God. Then it need, you need to also be in a place where you can do what? Confess your sins to each other. That requires another person, right? <laughs> that requires people where you can be with and grow together. So at the very end of it, I just wanted to quickly explain some practical ways of how you can overcome the life of sin. Maybe you just needed help and needing help was okay. We only have to receive help from God and Jesus. No, we receive help from our fellow family, right? So with that said, I hope that we have now better understood how we use the Bible to overcome the life of sin together. Keyword, together. Changing from the mind of the flesh to the mind of the spirit. All right, now we're going to go into our second point altogether, which is how we can now, oh yes, this is the point over here, faith with fellowship, brothers and sisters, within word and prayer. But now, what we want to go into is how we can understand the Bible better, right? It's been about half an hour. I went a little bit longer so than I expected on that portion there, but I believe the Spirit was also moving my heart to go a little bit more. Maybe there are some people here who needed a little bit more help. Uh, if it has moved your heart, then uh, I'm very glad. I'm sure the Spirit is also glad as well. But now going into this, uh, understanding the Bible, that was our seminar topic, right? Because we need to now use this thing called the Bible to overcome the devil, to overcome Satan, right? But here's the thing. 
when oftentimes you say we need to use the word of God to overcome Satan, this is what people begin to do. You read, you memorize, you memorize a ton of verses and try understanding it with yourself, right? Oh, John said to use the word. So then now you stay at home all day, just read the Bible all day, get your post-it notes and write verses on it, stick it on the wall, memorize it. So you can have the word of God wherever you go, right? <laughs> you, put, you go on Facebook, put your status with the word of God, put a Bible verse there. I'm overcoming the devil. <laughs> that's, that's not bad. Don't get me wrong. That's actually really good. It's encouraging to see that. If you feel so attacked, I'm so sorry, May. I didn't mean to attack. I've done it too. Don't worry. But, but uh, there's a deeper way to go about it. Okay, triggered. Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. You guys still like me? Yeah. Now, if you don't like me, it's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but there is an actual way that you have to overcome uh, the sa uh, Satan using the Bible. Who else uses the Bible? Satan uses the Bible. That's what we saw last time. Satan also masquerades as an angel of light. That's what we also saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 and verse 15. That even Satan masquerades as an angel of light and his workers also look like an angel of light. Yes, he twists the truth. So we have to understand the Bible very carefully. Because let's say we said, some, uh, we said a few words, right? If I said, for example, uh, let's say Daniel and Mary got married. Daniel and Mary got married. Then what you immediately think is what? Daniel and Mary got married. But what am I trying to say? Daniel got married. Mary got married. <laughs> Right? So it's really easy to even twist a person's words, not intentionally. So what you have to be able to do is understand the Bible so that when someone is actually twisting it, you'll be able to recognize that. That is how you overcome the devil and the Satan, because his work is to twist the truth of God. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's now go into this uh, all together. We're going to go into our next slide. Just one second here. Uh, let's read Acts chapter 13, verses 26 to 27. Amen. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Amen. Amen. So what do we see here? Um, in verse 27, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers, uh, this isn't just simply the Roman rulers at the time. Those rulers over there that you see in verse 27, that is actually referring to also the religious leaders, the priests, the rabbis. Those very people in Jerusalem, God's own people, were the very ones who killed and persecuted Jesus. Did they not read scripture? They memorized scripture.
they memorized hundreds upon hundreds of verses. And they read the scriptures every Sabbath. But although they were the ones who read the word, although they were the ones who studied the word, memorized the word, how could it be possible that they were the ones who killed the son of God? Does that make sense? For face value, it doesn't make sense. But the reason that we have to now go into a little bit deeper is understanding the Bible is not just reading it. It's not just memorizing it. But we need to understand what the Bible is exactly and how we have to dive into it. Okay. So let's now go into that portion over there. What is the Bible? Let's understand the Bible. It is a culmination of teachings. And if we have to organize the contents of the Bible, it is history, instructions, prophecy, and fulfillment. History, you know, as like historical events. Noah built an ark. Moses split the Red Sea, right? King Solomon was very wise. Instructions would be things such as, don't do this. Love one another. Love your Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Treat each other as you would have been treated yourself. And then there's teaching such as prophecy, where God foretells us about the things of the future, right? And also, when those prophecies take place, that is something that we also call fulfillment. Although we don't have too much time right now to dive deeply into one of these, uh, even one of these four teachings, once again, that is what the weekday studies and the, uh, I guess, the advanced class is also for. So you can study these teachings one by one. But for today, what we will be going into is how these teachings, this Bible, can be explained correctly, and how these very teachings can also be explained incorrectly. If a person, a messenger of God, was to take these teachings and explain them correctly, by definition, that person would be a true pastor, someone who is able to give the true message of God. Does that make sense? But if someone now were to take these exact contents, remember, these are words, words of God, but someone who takes these contents and explains them incorrectly, that would be a false pastor. That would be a false pastor. That is what even Satan did in the Garden of Eden. Remember when he was deceiving Adam and uh, when he was deceiving Eve, Satan doesn't say, hey, Eve. I think it would be a really good idea if you ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Does Satan the serpent say that? He doesn't. What he says is, God knows. For God has said that God knows if you eat of it, you will become like God knowing good and evil. So what the serpent did was took God's words and then he twisted it to make it something that it was not. In the same way, these are the words of God. This is the Bible, a culmination of teachings of history, instructions, prophecy, and fulfillment. And whether it was intentional or unintentional, and we take these words and we twist them to become something that is not, even by accident, that is actually creating a lie. Okay. So within the religious world, the Christian world, there are true pastors and false pastors. That is the beginning. Uh, that is what we need to begin to understand to overcome Satan's evil schemes. Let's now see some qualities that we can see within a true pastor and in the way that they will also explain the scripture. In John chapter 3, 
verses 31 to 34. Amen. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Amen. Amen. So what we see here is the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has what? He has seen and heard. Where was he from? He was from heaven. This is describing Jesus. So Jesus was someone who saw and heard the things of heaven, and therefore he was able to testify of heavenly things. The first quality that we must now see using the Bible is a true pastor through the example of Jesus. And why we call him a pastor is because the Lord is our shepherd. We are the sheep. He is the one who leads the flock. The true pastor is someone who uses the Bible uses the scripture to testify about heavenly things, but heavenly things that he has seen and heard. That is what we saw in John chapter 3, verse 32. And by doing so, by testifying of heavenly things, he will be able to explain something called the deep things of God. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Amen. These are the things of God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Amen. Amen. So what we also saw in John chapter 3, verse 34, is the one who has seen and heard the things of heaven, God will give the spirit without limit. And if they have that spirit of God, if they have God's spirit, then wouldn't they be able to know even the deep things, the deep thoughts of God? Does that make sense, everyone? If God is spirit, if God is, uh, if God's spirit is with you, right? Speaking through that pastor, then he will be able to give the deepest knowledge of God. That is what the Bible testifies. It's like this. Let's say you have a best friend, right? Let's say, I'm sorry, I hurt May's feelings. So May, let's say you're my best friend, okay? If May was my best friend, right? She would trust me with, uh, certain secrets right certain difficulties that are happening within her life in the same way if i also had a best friend i would also share what was in my heart to them and then what becomes proof that we're best friends is that we trust each other we know the deep thoughts of each other right it's no different okay it's no different and if of course with permission of anyone who shares a secret oh you don't have any friends best friends it's okay. You don't need best friends. You have a family right here. So don't worry about that, right? Okay. So in the same way, if we have this deep relationship with a person, then we're able to know the deep secrets of one another. It's no different with the Spirit of God. And this becomes a very important tool to see if God's Spirit is really speaking through an individual to give those deep things. Because 
a person who claims, simply claims that they are with God, but they are someone who is false, not a true teacher. And if God's spirit was not really in that person, would they also be able to give God's deep thoughts? The answer is no. This is how, once again, we begin to tell the difference. Let's now read Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Amen. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Amen. Amen. So the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy about these prophets who speak out of their own imagination. So what are these prophets doing? They are speaking in the name of God. But what do they do? They speak out of their own imagination, out of things that they have just thought up themselves. Everyone, when you, when you think of the, the Ten Commandments, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And oftentimes we, we say, don't say things such as, I swear to, right? Don't say things like that. Because that's taking the Lord's name in vain. That is also correct, but that is on the very surface level. This is actually a more clear example of how you take the Lord's name in vain. When you say something in the name of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord says this. But what are these people doing? They're just simply speaking out of their own imagination, saying that it's the thoughts of God. But is it? It is not. It's not. In verse 3. Why are they unable to speak the thoughts of God? This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. They have not seen anything. What, does that mean that they were physically blind? They didn't see anything in, in their entire life? That's not what it's talking about. It means that they have not seen heavenly things. They have not seen heavenly things guided by the spirit. So that is one quality of someone who teaches incorrectly. A false pastors, they have seen nothing, nothing of heaven. Does that make sense, everyone? Okay, going on to it a little bit deeper. If they have seen nothing of heaven, what is the only thing that they are able to explain? Let's now read John chapter 3, verse 31. Amen. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Amen. Amen. So it says, the one who comes from above is above all, but the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and, and speaks as one from the earth. They are not able to explain the things of heaven because they have not seen and heard it. But what have they seen? Seen and heard of many things of the earth. They're able to testify using the word of God to explain about things of the earth, things that happen within the physical world, but they are unable to explain the deep thoughts of God. But what do they all use? What do true pastors or false pastors, what do they all use? They all use the Bible, the scripture. The question becomes, are we able to tell the difference if someone is now explaining a thing of heaven or someone explaining a thing of earth using the Bible. 
That is, because, that is how we overcome Satan, his lies, and his evil schemes. That is what we all need to be able to do. That is the definition of becoming a mature believer, as we talked about about a month ago, right? Okay. So now, we're going to go into one example of how we can use a simple story that exists within the Old Testament and how we can use that story to explain something that is of heaven. Make sense? Let's go into it together. Ah, yes, once again, this slide, really important. A false pastor has seen nothing of heaven and testifies of earthly things. Let's now go into this passage all together. Amen. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son from Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Amen. Amen. Show of hands. Has anyone read this story before? The story of Ishmael and Isaac? Okay, great. Now, if someone were to ask you, what were the heavenly things that God wanted to explain through that story? What are the heavenly things that God wanted to explain using that story? You could begin to explain how there was conflict within the family. You can begin to explain how there was jealousy and mistreatment. But those things aren't necessarily things of heaven. Let me show you how, okay, never believe, belittle anyone. When you look into this uh, chapter or this passage of Genesis 21 verses 8 to 12, let's organize it really quickly. Uh, Hagar was, uh, was someone who had a child with Abraham and her son's name was Ishmael, okay? And Sarah was Abraham's wife. Uh, she was not a slave woman, but she was a free woman. And she was one who had a child, not simply by uh, having relations with Abraham, but Isaac was someone who had a miraculous birth. When Sarah's womb was dead, and when Abraham was about 100 years old, that is when Isaac was born. And what we see is that Isaac was born of the Spirit of God. This is a very simple story that exists within history. But when explained correctly, we are able to see God's will inside of it. So once again, what could God be wanting to explain to us? That when Hagar, a slave woman, had Ishmael, a son born of the flesh, Sarah, a free woman who had Isaac, born of the spirit, and Ishmael was mistreating Isaac. What did God really want to explain? Let's now go into this together. Are you guys ready? Yeah? Let's go into it together. Let's read Galatians chapter 4, chapter 4. Just 22, we're going to read 22 to 30, but we're going to read 22 to 26. Amen. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. 
His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. Amen. Amen. So let's break this down. In verse uh, 24, these things are being taken figuratively. These two women, Hagar and Sarah, what do they really represent? They represent two what? They represent two covenants. They represent two promises. Uh, Hagar, who is the slave woman, and her son that was born by the flesh, that symbolizes the old covenant. That even though you are underneath the old covenant, you are born from a physical genealogy, from the genealogy of Abraham. And even though you are still underneath that old covenant, you were underneath slavery, underneath uh, being a slave to sin. That's what Hagar and Ishmael represents, an old covenant that if you only lived by the old covenant, you would be trapped in sin. But Sarah and Isaac, what they represent is the new covenant. Do you know how Isaac is born? He's born by the spirit, a miraculous birth, right? Who does that represent? That represents Jesus, who also had a miraculous birth. There was no way a virgin could have a child, just like there was no way Sarah was able to have a child. Her womb was already dead, according to Romans chapter 4, but still, that miraculous birth happens. That symbolizes a new covenant, a new promise that we have with Jesus. Does that make sense, everyone? So we see these two covenants now, and if we live by the old one, we will remain trapped in sin. But if we now go into the new covenant that we have within Jesus, we will become what? Freed. That's what those two women, those two covenants, those two sons were representing. But now if we go a little bit deeper into it, what was happening? Ishmael was mistreating who? Ishmael was mistreating Isaac, right? Then what does that have to do with anything? Is that just a detail that's included? The answer is no. When you look at that into a much more of a detail, um, if you look into that with much more of a detail, these people who were underneath the old covenant, they were the Jews, right? And just like how Ishmael mistreated Isaac, uh, Jesus also, who was a symbol of Isaac, or who is the reality of the symbol of Isaac, he was also mistreated by who? He was mistreated and persecuted and killed by who? The Jews, the very chosen people of God. These people who were the Jews who were underneath the old covenant persecuted and killed Jesus. In the same way, it is no different today. Those who are simply born by the flesh will persecute those who are born by the spirit. This is what you must see and this is what you must hear. Okay, let's now read verses 27 to 30. Amen. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. 
Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Amen. Amen. So that was the reality, everyone. How Hagar and Ishmael, and Ishmael mistreating Isaac, Isaac who was born of Sarah. There's so many little details that we can see from it. Don't mistreat one another, love one another, family conflict. There's so many, to be honest, earthly ways that you can interpret this. And there's things that you can learn from, right? Don't treat anyone in a way that you don't want to be treated. But the deep things of God that God wanted to show through this story, who could have imagined this? Of how one woman symbolized the old covenant, another woman symbolized the new covenant. Of how he foretold those born by the flesh, which were the Jews, would persecute and kill those born by the spirit, Jesus and his 12 disciples and everyone else. If you didn't know, everyone, the 12 disciples were all martyred. Even Apostle John, even though he wasn't murdered, his life was like a living martyrdom. The disciples were shot with arrows, beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. And these were all happening. These were people born by the spirit, right? And they faced that kind of life, persecution of those born by the flesh. Everyone, just by reading, just by memorizing that story of Ishmael and Isaac, which you have been able to see the deep things of God. It's extremely deep. That's how deep God's thoughts go. We say with our lips, the thoughts of God, the knowledge of God is so deep beyond what we can comprehend. Right? Well, you have comprehended one of the deep secrets of God that was hidden within the Old Testament for approximately 2,000 years. How many more secrets do you think God has? How many secrets do we have? Some of us are only been on this earth for 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 years. How many secrets do we have? God has existed since the very beginning. You think he only has a few secrets to tell us? Something to think about, right? So then, something, uh, one final thing that I'd like to share with uh, all of us is just the conclusion. Let's just summarize the points of today's uh, seminar really quickly, because we talked about two main points, right? Here is our conclusion. Just read this all together with me and begin. A life of sin is not just individual actions, but a life that is not with God. God is life, truth, and holiness. And in order to truly escape the life of sin, it is not controlling one or two actions, but having our lives completely be one with God. Amen. Point number two. Let's read this one as well. In order for us to use the sword of God's word to fight the spirit of Satan, we must be, we must be able to know the deep secrets of God's word. Those who teach lies will also use the Bible, just as how Satan tried to tempt Jesus. But those who are truly from God will be able to use the Bible to teach the deep secrets and the thoughts of God. 
Oh, I see someone's drawing. <laughs> Amen. Then one final thing that I'd like to share with all of you today is that if you really want to ex escape the life of sin, you may desire it. But how many of us desired like, you know, I don't know, like a, like a nice body, right? Working out. How many of us desired that? <laughs> right? How many of us desired uh, new habits, right? When the new year hits, oh yeah, I'm going to start this year. Even if you desire it, it's very difficult to carry it out. You got to make sacrifices if you really want it. You have to discipline yourself and be able to push yourself to chase after what you really want. Otherwise, all the time will run out and you will end up just as how you started. I still want to do this. I still want to do this. But with sacrifice and with commitment, and, and commitment is scary, but with commitment, you will start off with, I wish I could do this. I wish I could do this. And the ending will be, I have done it. Two very different conclusions. That is up to you. God is willing to share the most deepest secrets within his thoughts within the scripture. But do you really desire it? Do you really want that? Well, if you do, then it takes time to go into God's word, not just once a week, not just by yourself. It takes change. It takes commitment. And that's how we can grow. Okay. And that's the final thing that I'd like to share with everyone. There is so much that God wants to give to you. You have no idea. It cannot even be expressed with words. But do you really want that? Are you really willing? That is the final thought that I would like to leave to everyone for the seminar. Let us now end this time with a prayer. Allow me to pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for this time that you have provided. The precious souls and the spirits of those who have been brought together by your will and your mercy. Father God, you love them so much and you wish to show them everything. But Father God, there are times when we can push you away. And there are times when our daily lives, our own stress gets the best of us. And we neglect the things that you want to give to us. And growth is not something that happens overnight. But growth and change is something that takes effort. But more than effort, with your spirit guiding us and leading us, anything can be done. As it even says within scripture that I, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, that you will give us new strength, as it says in Isaiah chapter 40, so that we can soar like wings on eagles. Father God, please allow this to become the reality of all those who have gathered to the seminar today. And if there's anyone who is looking for your word, Father God, oh, Father God, help them to be found by you and help them to know you deeply, fully, and not partially. Thank you so much for everything that you have provided for your continual love, mercy, and grace that you show us, despite us falling short of your glory. But help us, Father God, to change from the mind of the flesh to the mind of the spirit, just one single detail, just one by one every single day. In everything we pray, in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, then for this time, we return all glory to our Father God with a clap offering. And we will now be going into the breakout session. So our seminar is not over. Uh, once again, the important factor of fellowship and being together is really important. So please make sure to go there. And also for the weekday studies, for anyone who wants to sign up, 
it's it's open. There will be another class that is uh, being taught uh, for those uh, teachings that you heard in detail. So please make sure if you have that desire, sign up, join in, you will not be disappointed. For those who are joining the weekday studies in the class, you guys know how fun it is, right? <laughs> so really uh, encourage your fellow brothers and sisters within the breakout rooms, even here, so that we all can grow together. Amen. So with that said, thank you all for your time. I hope that it was beneficial for you. Please have a great and blessed time within the breakout room. God bless.